Welcome to the Cannabis Science Podcast, a podcast dedicated entirely to discussing the science of cannabis from an industry insider's perspective. Today, it's my pleasure to have Dr. Mark Lang and Dr. Jordan Sager. That's how you pronounce your name, right? Sager? Uh, Zager. Zager. Thanks, Dr. Jordan Zager. And they are right now actually in, I imagine, close to Washington State University Pullman, right? Yeah, so our, our town is called Pullman. Um, it's fairly small. I think they like to say there's about 33,000 residents, um, but I do think they count the, the student population. Um, so the city's constantly growing and shrinking every quarter. I think right about now, students are starting to come back. So we're growing back from about 7,000 back up to the 33 number that they like to flaunt. Nice. I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, small college towns having spent a large portion of my life around them. And like small towns in general, honestly, especially in the countryside. I think there's something to be said about student-faculty ratio and that relationship you get with a faculty in a, in a smaller town that's more personal. But this is in the eastern side of Washington State, right? Yeah, that's right. We're about six miles from the border with Idaho. Very rural, very, uh, I would say, rolling hills likely, right? It kind of looks like a nice area, at least in the pictures that I've seen. And so... Mark, Mark Lang, he's a professor at Washington State. And Jordan, what relationship do you have with Mark? It's actually very unique. Yeah, so uh, Mark is my former PhD advisor. Um, I worked in his lab for about four years uh, while I was attaining my PhD. And what exactly, I guess in your words, Mark, what work did you do in your lab? The overarching goal of uh, research in my lab is to understand the enormous chemical diversity that you see in plants. And to a certain extent, this is due to the occurrence of specialized anatomical structures. Uh, In some cases, those are specialized tissues or even uh, specialized cell types. Um, Very prominent among the uh, anatomical structures are glandular trichomes. Uh, Those are modified hairs that you find on a lot of the aromatic plants and they contain secretions that we distill as essential oils. Um, you might be familiar with, uh, with the resin that is excreted by conifers upon uh, wounding and insect feeding. Uh, and that comes, it's that sticky substance that you often find on the stems. And that comes from anatomical structures called resin ducts. And then there are latissifers that you might be familiar with. The opium poppy has a seed pod that when you wound it, there's a milky fluid that comes out. Uh, and that comes from these specialized cell types called latissifers. So we're, we're studying these specialized structures from lots of different angles, both from the experimental side, but also by building mathematical models to, to really try to understand how plants are able to generate this enormous chemical diversity that we that we now uh, appreciate. Like I was telling Jordan earlier, I've read a lot of your papers, um, recent publications at least. I think the findings are quite fascinating. It definitely gave me a, a, a more profound appreciation for what you guys have been doing, you're capable of, and some of the ambitious techniques that you have at your disposal. I only want to have one criticism, which is the in vitro assays, but that's just me being an academic, and uh, but but honestly, it's it it is fascinating what you've been able to accomplish and things that when I look back when I was doing my PhD, I mean it wasn't like they were brand brand new, but 
they weren't done to that level. So, so I, I am quite interested in, in talking a little bit more about this. You guys do belong to a, a group of people, I would say. I mean, and this is full disclosure to the listeners, that you guys belong to a, a limited group of researchers worldwide that are, I would say, experts on glandular trichomes and cannabis. And this is something I would like to go more in depth in a little bit. Before we do that, you have, a, again, this very interesting relationship, and you guys decided to diverge from your basic research focus towards starting a cannabis company, a cannabis company that's focused in commercializing what exactly? So um, right now we are, one of the big things we offer are scientific uh, analysis of of folks' cannabis varieties. Um, So we've been able to take a platform that I've developed uh, with Mark on uh, being able to analyze not only the genomics of, of a plant, uh, but also the, the functional genomics. So what are the dynamic changes in the genome while that plant or cell type, in the case of trichomes, is active in metabolism? Um, what are the, the just the baseline metabolic requirements? And then we can use our platform to sort of study the changes as you know the plant's maturing, or um, if the plant is in a different environment than it's used to um, things like that. And so your company is called Dewey Scientific. Why Dewey? Yeah, so um, we, we named our company after uh, the USDA's original hemp breeder back from the, the turn of the, the 20th century. It was Lester Dewey. He had a, uh, a hemp breeding program out in Virginia. And actually, believe it or not, his original hemp breeding plot um, is actually where the, the Pentagon currently is located. So we thought, you know, we, we probably antagonized over what we we're going to call ourselves for nine months. And then uh, we, we heard the story of Lester Dewey um, and we couldn't think of a better person to, uh, to pay homage to. That's a, that's a pretty deep cut. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's, that's interesting. Um, I would never have imagined it, but I, I like that. I like that name. I think it's definitely a, a story to tell. Which department are you actually in? I mean, you're a botanist, right? Is that your primary focus or primary field? My laboratory is part of the Institute of Biological Chemistry. I do have an advanced degree in botany, uh, but that's I, I'm not a typical botanist. Um, the research in our lab uh, focuses more on the uh, biochemistry, on molecular biology, on the physiology of uh, specialized cell types in plants and, and specialized anatomical structures. So uh, to a certain extent, uh, a botanical background helps with that. Uh, but the day-to-day uh, work here is actually very diverse and uh, spreads significantly into to other fields and uh, even computational models. And Jordan, what made you decide to explore botany as a as a viable area of study like why did you decide to explore this and really what drove you in terms of overall benefit to man yeah so uh, i originally got involved in in plant biochemistry um because i was very interested in biofuels um i originally worked in a laboratory that investigated um 
biofuel sources and feedstocks from non-traditional sources. So at the time, they were working a lot on Apuntia, which is cactus and plants of that type, um, cam plants, as they're often referred, um, and they have a special type of metabolism. Um, so I was involved in research like that, and you know, I, I, it just gave me my first glimpse into uh, plant metabolism, and that's that's really where I first identified Mark Lang. Um, as an expert in plant metabolism um, and how we can, you know, maybe work towards um, producing the the products that plants make that that we as humans find valuable, but do it more efficiently and without using so many resources. Especially, you know, when you talk about cannabis, we're talking about a plant that requires a lot of fertilizer, a lot of water. Um, it requires, in most cases, uh, fertile soil to grow on, but at we're growing it at the expense of food. So if we can find ways to uh, reduce that margin, uh, that trade-off of, you know, cannabis-based products in exchange for more efficient cannabis, well, uh, that's that's sort of what has driven me uh, to today. Uh, that's that's definitely admirable and and a a a short a short direction actually. So. This is a question to, to both of you. What was the reason behind wanting to start a cannabis-focused biotech company? What aspects of the industry are you looking to, to fill or better serve? Um, yeah, so I think aspects of the industry we're just looking to better serve. Um, this is, in general, this, this plant's, at least in North America, sort of been you know, grown in the shadows for the last half century. And as it has emerged from the shadows in the last decade, you know, a lot of focus has been put on maximizing resin production or um, attaining a specific aromatic profile of, of the different varieties. But as um, you know, as hemp uh, becomes a more viable option um, or even a legal option, you know, we, we have to start focusing on other traits and aspects of, of the, the plant for growth, and, and those being you know key agronomic traits, water use efficiency resistance to, to fungal and, and pet, uh, insect pathogens. And so that's really where we're, we're trying to go is, is take this, take the genetics that have been built by, you know, a lot of legacy growers that risked a lot to uh, produce what they did, um, and, and translate that. So cannabis can be a more, uh, economical agronomic commodity rather than a, a very specialized horticultural crop. This is really directed towards your research. I'm going to call them trichomes just because that's the that's the term used in normal vernacular, but I know they're more precisely called glandular trichomes. And I guess what I want to be is enlightened by you guys regarding what are some of the interesting properties that you've discovered regarding these structures, these trichomes. Yeah, I think I think we've made uh, significant progress on several different uh, important topics with the recently published research. One aspect of that was to help with improving our ability to differentiate different cannabis strains. Uh, as you know, there is a lot of confusion out there about the naming of, of various different strains or cultivars. And we believe that it is really important that uh, we clear this up one way or another and come uh, come up with definitions that are a bit more scientifically founded. So one of the things we did is a chemical analysis, uh, and that focused on 
the cannabinoids, which are the biologically active principles of cannabis, but also included terpenoids, which are the aroma volatiles. Uh, so we analyzed those across all the strains that uh, were part of the study and found that those combinations of chemical profiles worked quite well to differentiate the strains that we were looking at. Uh, but we also combine this with the next generation sequencing. Uh, what this does, it, it generates data on the genes that are expressed uh, in those glandular trichomes at the time when, when they're filling with secretions that contain these cannabinoids and terpenoids. And when you do this, it gives you something like a genetic fingerprint, but it's a fingerprint of what's actually expressed, so what's actually relevant to the process. And again, that on its own was very powerful to differentiate strains, but uh, in combination with those uh, chemical analysis, it was even better uh, at helping with differentiation. So we, we think we actually have the the analytical capabilities to really differentiate all the different strains and uh, come up with a naming convention that would be more consistent so that people actually know what they're getting. Uh, the other aspect of the work that is a, a bit more of, of scientific interest is to, when, you, when you're combining all these data sets, you can also look at correlation. Um, and the correlations that we were interested in is the gene expression patterns across those strains with the accumulation of different chemical end products of, of metabolic pathways. And what we found is that although the strains that we looked, the cannabis strains that we looked at were quite different in their chemical profiles, there was always a correlation of certain genes that generate terpenes and certain genes that uh, generated the, the relevant cannabinoids in, in that strain. So it appears that these two pathways are linked uh, from a regulatory point of view, and that has implications for, for breeding, for example, just knowing uh, how all the different pathways that generate both the, the biologically active and the aromic chemicals, how those, are, how those relate. You're listening to the Cannabis Science Podcast. Is there a consensus within the field as to why these structures exist in cannabis? Yeah, that, that's a good question. The glandular trichomes that you see on cannabis are actually not that uncommon. Uh, you may think there's something very special, but they, they aren't necessarily. If you look at the flowering plants, about 70% of them have uh, some kind of glandular trichome. What sets cannabis apart to a certain extent is that they are particularly numerous, particularly on the uh, female flower buds, and they're also comparatively large. So the, the uh, quantity of secretion that is held in those glandular trichomes is comparatively high. So the reason why this enormous number of, of glandular trichomes exists on cannabis is, of course, because people have been breeding them. The ancestral species, which uh, are probably may not be around anymore because cannabis has been bred very, very heavily, 
probably look very, very different. They may have had fewer glandular trichomes and possibly uh, or very likely also of a very different composition. So generally speaking, the, the current thinking is that uh, glandular trichomes contain defense-related secretions so that when you have an insect that uh, uh, walks across the, the leaf surface, that when it touches one of these trichomes that are under a lot of pressure from those secretions, they will burst uh, they will release the contents and uh, that will be a deterrent, a feeding deterrent to a certain extent. But for, for the most part, that has not really been assessed scientifically. There are only a few studies where there's been a clear demonstration that the glandular trichomes have a direct effect on uh, feeding by, by certain insects. I guess being involved in medical sciences, there is this somewhat contentious issue with regards to the role that terpenes play within synergy, you know, cannabinoid synergy. Now, I know that cannabinoids are essentially, you know, modified terpenes, but I'm very curious because you guys have a much more close-up view of these systems in action. Could you... Could you tell us a little bit about what role do the terpenes play in cannabis? And starting with, I guess, starting with the role these molecules play within the overall physiology of the cannabis plant, what are they doing there? And then also whether they are unique, whether there are any that are unique to the cannabis plant. Yeah, so um, the role that they are likely playing is one of either pest uh, defense, it, you know, terpenes have been shown to uh, exhibit antimicrobial activity, but not only that, I mean, you know, in horticultural greenhouses, companion plants are, are a pretty common occurrence. Um, and this is just, you know, they're typically volatile terpene rich plants that just do a pretty good job of, of protecting the greenhouse environment from insect pests. Now, that's, that's one aspect. Another aspect could be that they're used to attract uh, pollinators or used as a means of seed dispersal. So, you know, we as humans, we, we generally have enjoyed monoterpenes uh, for almost as long as written history. The original perfumes were, were monoterpene-derived essential oils. And, and answering your question on, are there any uh, specific terpenes unique to cannabis? There are none that I'm aware of. Um, you know, the most common ones are limonene, pinene, myrcene. These are all named after plants in which they're commonly found. Um, you know, limonene is very commonly found in citrus. It's, you know, when you squeeze uh, an orange peel, the, the little spray that comes out, that's, that's uh, limonene-rich oil. In pine, you know, you, you're in a pine forest, the, the essence is the pinene. And so how this sort of plays into, you know, this synergistic effect that's been described but not necessarily confirmed, you know, I think a lot of work needs to be done on the clinical side of things to, to sort of work out this, this supposed entourage effect. But there are instances um, of research out there, mostly stemming from Japan, where um, just the, the presence of monoterpenes in an atmosphere has shown beneficial health effects. Um, now, it's, it's very preliminary. It's very experimental. Um, but it's just sort of an example of where we need to go to sort of um, unlock the the synergistic effect that that using a cannabis product, a full spectrum cannabis product, could have. Yeah, I mean, I guess those that listen to the show regularly know my viewpoint about this. Uh, I would never say that terpenes 
do not have any therapeutic efficacy because there are definitely terpenes that are effective when compared to other molecules. And like you said, obviously there's this, uh, like the forest bathing effect that the Japanese have, have sort of studied of, you know, being in nature and, and what that can provide the the human. And as well as, you know, the fact that a lot of these effects are, you know, sensory and emotional effects with scent being a very powerful sense. Now, regarding your research specifically, though, and this is more directed towards the genomics aspect of it, because genomics clearly is becoming more and more integral to everything we do inside and outside the realms of science. Could you tell us what you think will happen or or actually better yet, what is happening right now within using the technology that's available right now in the realm of genomics to work within the cannabis industry and to engineer better therapeutics in the realm of cannabis? Yeah. So, um, you know, these terpene synthase enzymes are often referred to as, uh, promiscuous enzymes. They, they will often produce a suite of, of compounds from a single precursor. So, you know, for example, a limonene synthase, it predominantly produces limonene, but depending on the amino acid composition of the binding site pocket of that enzyme, you can have uh, different mixtures of sub terpenes uh, that are produced. Um, so, you know, we'll say 90% is limonene, and the remaining 10% could be made up of, you know, three or four other minor terpenes. So as the cannabis industry starts moving towards, um, you know, starts getting away from strains and maybe more into varieties, um, I think a big differentiator between one variety from the next is going to be the, the aromatic profile that comes with that variety and whether or not it's consistent across, you know, say all seeds of a breeding population things like that. So, you know, on the, on the science side of things, you know, it's, it's key to characterize or at least identify these variants in these terpene synthase enzymes, because single amino acid changes in these enzymes can result in a different terpene profile of that plant. And you guys do discuss that in your latest paper. I invite those that are interested in, or, or I guess are are scientifically literate to, to read uh, Gene Network's Underlying Cannabinoid and Terpenoid Accumulation in Cannabis by uh, both of you and and uh, some additional colleagues, which I think are I think was a very well done study, honestly. Very uh, illuminating, definitely adds to the growing body literature that purports exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, characterizing, in, in part, characterizing certain cultivars with their respective uh, aromatic profile. And you guys do some principal component component analysis that um, well, I would say good friends, but I know, I know Arnold has camp very well. And he did some work very similar to you guys. Of course, you guys span upon it significantly. But regarding that, would, do you guys believe or have you guys seen that specific cultivars or or let's say i call them strains of cannabis plants this observation where you see them present a profile of terpenes a, a somewhat specific terpene profile do you see that conserved within various strains so i think you know a big 
a big player that, that we haven't really mentioned on is the grow growing environment. Uh, it's, it's been shown that that specific interactions with UV light can increase uh, terpene production. It has certainly been shown that the introduction of light increases the rate of uh, expression of terpene genes. So that's, that's definitely something to monitor, but you know, if within a, a cultivar or a strain, you know, the terpene profile should be very similar if it is indeed a true cultivar. It seems like in part, the focus of your guys' new company is to provide this genomic analysis or genetic analysis of the specific cultivars or strains that people are producing. Do you guys have a, you know, uh, I guess a high throughput sequencer within your facility or your company or your, or I mean, imagine your lab that you do this work with? Um, so we, we actually don't have our own high throughput sequencer. We, we have a sequencing partner uh, that we prefer to work with. Um, mm-hmm. They're great. They have very, very quick, fast turnaround time. Um, and then from there, they give us just the raw data from the sequencing. And then what we specialize in is um, our, our taking that raw data and turning it into something that a grower can understand or you know maybe a, a more educated consumer can uh, understand. And how many other companies are going down this path? Because honestly, I, I think the direction you guys are taking is definitely incredibly valuable, especially considering... You know, you, you can't take somebody's word nowadays and even based upon their potency profiles of, oh, this is this specific strain of, of cannabis or, or this specific plant that you're providing someone. So being able to provide that somewhat, I mean, a certain level of genetic markers regarding that plant and associating those genetic markers maybe through, I guess, larger bodies of data to support that this is exactly what we say it is. I think there's huge use for that. And where do you guys see yourselves going with this company? Yeah, so we, we see ourselves first and foremost, you know, we, we prefer to work directly with producers. Um, we, we formed a couple of very intimate relationships in which we are, in essence, the scientific arm of these uh, hemp or, or cannabis producer. And, and that's where we, we are eyeing growth is, is taking on more clients that they really want to know the functional genomic aspect of their plant. You know, there are, we're not the only company out here that offers uh, genomic services, especially for cannabis. But, uh, you know, I think we're unique in that we take uh, a, a slightly different approach. Many of the, our competitors, if you will, they take sort of a static genomic approach and they will either try to offer you a full genome sequencing or they will offer you a resequencing at which point you can sort of fill in some gaps using the available full genomes that are out there. Um, but so what our platform does is we look at the dynamic, the dynamic genome uh, at a certain point in time or across multiple points in time. So with, with sort of the static uh, regular genomics, you get to know, the gene sequence of maybe the whole genome or, or, uh, you know, the majority of the genome. But with ours, we look at which, which of those genes are actively being expressed and what is the nucleic acid composition of those genes while they are being expressed. Uh, because as we talk about, you know, cannabinoids and terpenoids, it's very important to know what is being expressed from that, you know, from that DNA to that RNA. And so there's just 
gives you, in my opinion, a, a much better look into what you're working with as your plant is growing. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to what you're saying, which I think is incredibly valuable as you see the cannabis plant, you know, grow and evolve with you to see how things, things are being, these genes are being turned on and off. And, and yeah, I mean, all that is, is a, an incredibly valuable and useful aspect of the genomics information that is often not provided. And that's, you know, useful for everything from cannabis to humans. But I love, and I love to discuss this further, definitely at a later date, if you guys have the availability. But the last question I want to ask you is that based upon everything you guys know, uh, both chemically and functionally regarding terpenes in cannabis, what would you say to people that extract, purify, and isolate these constituents to either take orally or, or smoke in high concentrations? You know, neither one of us are medical doctors, so I don't think we're uh, qualified to, to talk about the health aspect of it. Um, but I think the biggest thing is to know your source. Um, at least here in the U.S., you know, we, we sort of just got through this quote-unquote vaping epidemic in which people were dying from contaminated vapor products. I believe every single case, these lung diseases were found in states where the import of regulated cannabis products is common. So, you know, if, if you're in Texas and you, you know, are illegally purchasing a vape cartridge, um, there's no one in Texas that is testing that to make sure that it's healthy for consumption. So I guess that's my, my biggest message is, you know, know your source of these concentrates. Um, and if you can ensure that it has been tested by a regulatory body, or at least by a third party lab that, um, has to answer to a regulatory body, um, that's, that's probably the, the healthiest way of doing it. No, I mean, and, and again, that's an open-ended question. There's, there's no uh, right, right or wrong answer there. It's just, I, I guess I wanted to get you guys' opinion regarding that because there, there is, again, that's another point of contention, contention for a lot of people, whether or not that's actually, I guess, a good product or good thing to do overall. But yeah, I, I agree with a, a lot with what you say. It's really, really have to trust the source. And, and additional to that, you know, do your research with, with, with regards to a lot of these things yourself. Be a conscientious consumer. And that's why somebody would contact a company like yours to know exactly what their cannabis product has, both chemically and genetically. And so what's the next step for you guys here? Where are you guys taking this to? Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're currently working with um, a hemp breeder. Um, we are, we're managing all of their, all of their data. We're guiding them on to, um, you know, what do they need to be sampling? When do they need to be sampling it? And then how can they use that data in their breeding decisions? And, and so the, you know, sort of the second aspect of this, uh, as we move forward is, is using the data that we're generating, using the gener the data that is available to us, um, to sort of, you know, hone in on, um, more perfect enzymes. You know, we, we are working on, um, you know, sort of identifying a perfect cannabinoid synthase, one in which it, um, you know, has, has much higher turnover rate than, um, you know, maybe the, the same gene from a different 
variety. Um, and so we're, we're really trying to take our lab data and then use that to compare it to what is out there in the field and what are people actually working with. Oof, that would be, that'd be fantastic. Honestly, if you guys could create, if you guys could somehow figure out the best way to get all these minor cannabinoid levels up high enough for someone to extract them at a significantly higher concentration and purify them for, for use in pharmacological analysis and in vivo testing, that would be amazing, honestly. And so thank you so much, you guys, for giving me your time and patience here. I really do appreciate it. You guys are doing, it piqued my interest when I was approached by your company with regards to this, because because I do think it's a it's a unique direction in terms of cannabis cannabis biotech, honestly, and it's not something that I believe everyone can do at this point. So it's definitely a niche market, and I think a market that is slowly becoming more and more in demand. So I think you guys are, if not first movers, very close to that, and set yourselves up uh, in a very unique way. So once again. Dr. Mark Lang and Dr. Jordan Zager from Dewey Scientific. Jordan is the CEO and Mark is the Chief Science Officer. Thank you once again, guys, for being on the show. Have a fantastic day. Take very much good care of yourselves. Thank you, Ricardo. Have a good day. Yeah, thanks, Ricardo. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Cannabis Science Podcast. If you enjoyed this program and want to learn more, you can find additional information and resources at CannabisConciencia.org. Or you can find other shows wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This was recorded with the generous support of Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. Join us today and become part of the Vancouver Co-op Radio family. Please tune in next time to another episode of Cannabis Science Podcast. Thank you for listening.